Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. It's an exciting time of the year for UFC. And without doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action. We have the best place for you to go. My bookie for the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot. Try Parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, Parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. MyBookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit two grand, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to get your extra cash from MyBookie. Bet, win, Get paid. Today is Monday, May 18th, 2020. This one is going to be short and sweet, uh, short and painless, however you want to put it. We are talking about the legacy, uh, the legacy of what I consider to be the king of grunge, uh, paying homage to the late, great Chris Cornell. It was on this date three years ago that Chris Cornell uh, took his own life. Uh, and again, one of the greatest rock and roll frontmen of all time. I consider him to be the king of grunge over Kurt Cobain. I mean... Hot take. I, I believe it. I think he, he was around longer. Kurt Cobain died, I think, when he was 27, 28 years old. Uh, had a full legacy in front of him, no doubt. Probably would have gone down as one of the greatest uh, of all time. I consider Kurt Cobain to be uh, in the, the Mount Rushmore of songwriters. But Kurt Cobain, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, at least those three are definitely in the Mount Rushmore for me when it comes to songwriters, greatest songwriters of all time when it comes to lyrics. But Chris Cornell, I mean, if there's anyone who deserves for, if anybody deserves the current title of King of Grunge or King of Rock and Roll, I think it's Chris Cornell because he's perhaps one of the most distinguishable voices in rock and roll history. I mean, nobody had a range like Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell has always outdone uh, his opponents, his competition, if you will, in several ways. I mean, I just mentioned his range. I mean, first and foremost, his fucking range. I mean, it's incredibly extensive. He implements it into many of his songs by, uh, I mean, he just screams into the microphone. But again, nobody can scream like Chris Cornell. Like, it was... His own, it was his own range. Like Miles Kennedy, I don't think a lot of people can touch Miles Kennedy. I don't think anybody could touch Axl Rose of Guns N' Roses. But Chris Cornell's range, uh, when it came to just growling deeply and just belting those high notes, is like none other. I mean, you hear it in Behind the Wheel by Soundgarden. That's a great example of that, uh, especially the live version. And like I said, well, Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, Eddie Vedder, of course, of Pearl Jam, Scott Weiland of STP, and even Lane Staley of Alice in Chains. Um, they were the other main signature voices of that grunge era. Remember the grunge movement back in the early 90s? And they all have their own distinctive vocal styles and all tremendous uh, uh, pioneers of rock and roll, at least from the 90s on. And, but Cornell's range and crisp sound just makes it the most extraordinary. Again, nobody has Chris Cornell's voice. And nobody, I don't think, ever will again. I mean, his lyrics, too, not only just his range, his lyrics... I mean, he's not only an, ex an outstanding singer, or at least was, but he was a gifted and poetic, you could say, he, in his songwriting. I mean, from social issues to sweet songs about uh, his daughter and family. I mean, none of his verses sounded forced or even nonsensical uh, like many other singers. Um, and he, again, he's one of the founding fathers of grunge. He kind of put grunge on the map. Uh, again, Soundgarden, I think, was a band, they, they kicked off in 1984, they were a band way before then, remember he was originally the drummer for Soundgarden before he took over lead vocals and lead guitar, 
Um, I mean, his success with multiple projects early on. He founded Soundgarden again in the mid-'80s. They got a major label deal only a few years later, ultimately making them the first band to establish the Seattle grunge scene, contrary to the arguments of many Nirvana fans out there. But in 1990, he also formed Temple of the Dog to honor his uh, late friend Andy Wood of Mother Love Bone. And, of course, Eddie Vedder would end up joining, and that's where Hunger Strike, uh, that's when Temple of the Dog, again, a one-off tribute band to Andy Wood, uh, but, again, Hunger Strike, one of the greatest grunge songs ever. But they, they put out uh, one self-titled record in 1991. Uh, that is Temple of the Dog. Uh, I mean, uh, Chris Cornell, again, after being with, uh, what was it, Soundgarden for 20-plus years, he got his second act with Audio Slave, and after five studio albums... Um, and this is Soundgarden, they broke up in 1997, and then Chris Cornell pursued, of course, a solo career for the first time. He put out Euphoria Morning in 1999, and then he founded the uh, Audio Slave with, uh, it was basically a supergroup. Remember, we had Scott Weiland teaming up with Slash and Duff McKagan to form a Guns N' Roses STP uh, super band known as Velvet Revolver. We had Chris Cornell join um, uh, uh, the likes of Tom Morello and Rage Against the Machine to form Audio Slave. And Audio Slave's overall vibe was not as dark as Soundgarden's, but instead was very energetic and aggressive rock and roll. I mean, Cornell utilized much more distortion in his singing to give the sound a more raw style, as heard in uh, uh, Koshai, Show Me How to Live is a big one. Um, and the pounding riffs and his iconic vocals in Audio Slave kind of established the band as one of the most popular bands of the early 2000s when they form, and they put out three records before calling it quits in 2007. I think they quit around the same time as uh, Velvet Revolver did, and uh, he, I mean, he's still, at, to the very end, Chris Cornell was on top of his game. He, after splitting with Audio Slave, he put out two more solo records, uh, Carry On, that was the album when he uh, covered uh, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson and just killed it, and then 2009 Scream, and then in 2011, um, I think he released a popular live album that was entitled, I think it was Songbook, and that featured his, I think it was an acoustic solo performance that he still does to this day, and then Soundgarden ends up reuniting in 2010, they went on tour in 2011, uh, 2012 saw the release of King Animal, and then in 2015, and I think this was his greatest solo album, Chris Cornell uh, he, uh, he, I mean, he has, he's done more for rock and roll than any musician has in years with the amount of music that he's put out. And he actually fronted Mad Season's Sonic Evolution reunion show in Seattle in 2015 uh, before he put out another solo record, which was Higher Truth, which I still think is his greatest solo album to date. That was in the fall of 2015. He toured extensively behind uh, that album for the next year until he went on tour with Temple of the Dog in the fall of 2016 to honor 25 years of their sole album, of course, going back on tour with Eddie Vedder. Um, and with only eight dates, the tour sold out in, in was it two minutes? I mean, that's insane for Temple of the Dog. And then uh, a series of Soundgarden festival performances were announced toward the end of the year for 2017. Obviously, those didn't end up happening with Chris Cornell, uh, but they were supposed to feature bands like Metallica and Def Leppard and Korn. Um, and then Audio Slave's first performance in 12 years took place in, tw in uh, uh, 2017 as well. They performed a reunion set in uh, LA's anti-inaugural ball. And then Soundgarden, uh, they planned to release a new album at the end of 2017 as well. Again, that didn't happen. But uh, Chris Cornell, of course, he did collaborations over the years with like Slash, Carlos Santana, Zach Brown Band. 
Um, and even more, if you, if you look him up on iTunes, I mean, Chris Cornell has explored various styles of rock music throughout his career. He's made it clear that he isn't, um, or at least at the time, he, he, he made it clear that he wasn't finished yet. Uh, he, re he I think Scream in 2009 was his first kind of poppy album. If you go back and listen to that, kind of going out of his comfort zone there. But with over 50 singles at uh, 52 years of age, his voice, which is still going, I mean, it, it went strong to the very day that he died. It proved that he is grunge and modern rock and roll's modern king, you could say. And that's just my opinion. Obviously, if you look up King of Grunge on Google, Kurt Cobain's name is likely going to pop up. But I wanted to get into, and again, I'm going right into this. I, I want to make it quick and, and painless for you guys. Uh, again, three years since the death of Chris Cornell. Four of the five founding fathers of grunge... If you count Scott Weiland, I don't think a lot of people do, but I count Scott Weiland in that grunge scene. Core came out in 92. Uh, some say they were bigger than grunge. I think he was in the mix. Four of the five founding fathers, Eddie Vedder's the last one, four of the five founding fathers of grunge are all gone. I, I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, obviously, the Seattle scene, everybody says, um, it's just, it's mysterious. I mean, I, uh, Seattle's just a dark gloomy place. It rains 75% of the time. Miles Kennedy, obviously, lives in Spokane, Washington, right outside Seattle. Uh, but Chris Cornell, Scott Weiland, Lane Staley, and Kurt Cobain, four of grunge pioneers, I mean, all dead. I mean, it's a shame that Chris Cornell passed away in the manner that he did at the age of 52 three years ago. And he was the fourth grunge rock icon who has left the world, and in a very short period of time as well. Cornell died in 17, Wyland in 15, Lane Staley in 2002, and then Cobain, obviously. Uh, that whole thing ended up happening in, I think it was 94 in Seattle. Um, but Chris Cornell, I think it was May, it was May 18th, 2017. Um, I mean, Eddie Vedder's the only one left. Eddie is... I mean, granted, Eddie Vedder is the only one that didn't grow up in Seattle. Chris Cornell, of course, born in Seattle. Kurt Cobain growing up in Seattle. Lane Staley ends up dying in Seattle. I mean, those guys were Seattle born and bred. I mean, Eddie Vedder, of course, grew up uh, in Chicago and then moved to L.A. and then obviously made his way out to Seattle. I mean, Dave Grohl as well, West Virginia boy, um, in that D.C. scene, I should say, just Virginia, not West Virginia. Uh, but he ended up making his way out to Seattle. He's got a documentary out there on how he got to Seattle. But so, all these guys... Cobain, uh, Scott Weiland obviously grew up in Huntington Beach. He didn't kill himself. He um, obviously drugged his way to death. But Eddie Vedder, the last one, um, he, of course, lead singer of Pearl Jam, the last kind of grunge band that still exists. Um, I mean, with these guys dying due to, again, accidental overdose of drugs, um, that was Lane Staley, of course. They found a, a shit ton of heroin in his system. He weighed like 82 pounds when they found him in Seattle. Uh, Scott Weiland, obviously, cocaine, I mean, everything in the book uh, led to his death in 2015, December of 2015. We did a podcast back in December on uh, the legacy of Scott Weiland. Um, but Chris Cornell was the only one not part of that scene, I guess you could say. I mean, Kurt Cobain, obviously, early 90s was hopped up on all that shit, but at the same time, he didn't... I mean, we'll get into that in a whole nother podcast. I got a lot of conspiracies, a lot of thoughts on Kurt Cobain's death, but Chris Cornell was the only one that took his life. And then shortly after, Chester Bennington, who uh, did some work with Stone Temple Pilots, obviously most notably for Linkin Park, he took his own life on Chris Cornell's birthday, and I wanted to talk about their relationship because they were close friends. They were really good friends, Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington. Chris Cornell's was probably the most 
sudden and unexpected because, again, his wife and his family were absolutely stunned when they got the call that uh, he hung himself. And that's what that was what the it was obviously a suicide is what it came down to. Uh, there's a lot of conspiracies out there that said neither him or Chester Bennington killed themselves. Uh, I'm not going to speculate about that. But I mean, the cause of his death again, at the time, wasn't revealed right away. And I remember when Kurt Cobain died. I mean, I don't remember it, but I've read about it. I was negative uh, six years old when Kurt Cobain died. But uh, they ruled it a suicide right off the bat, the day of, and that's ne- that's just unheard of. Uh, Chris Cornell obviously died um, uh, due to hanging. Uh, his wife blames some of the drugs, the supplements that he was taking. Um, Avita, I believe, was the... The supplement he was taking, a respiratory uh, supplement, and it is said to have um, a suicide side effect, which is not very, uh, very good for drugs out there. Avita, I think it was called, had a very uh, strong side effect of suicidal thoughts, and that's what uh, Vicky Cornell believes that killed her husband. And again, this is the only um, one in the grunge area I'm speaking of, because obviously Chester Bennington did it a few months after, again, on Chris Cornell's what would have been his 53rd birthday, uh, which makes it all the more scary. Again, good friends, we'll get into that in a minute, but Cornell, out of the founding fathers of grunge, the ones that have passed away, and Eddie Vedder's still the last one left, they all died due to drugs and alcohol, I guess you'd say. Scott Weiland, again, the lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots, and then, of course, Velvet Revolver with Slash and McKagan. He was discovered dead uh, on his tour bus in Minnesota. He was on tour with Scott Weiland and the Wildabouts. He died right before he and his band were supposed to go on stage, and he was only 48 years old when he died. Uh, the cops found a small amount of cocaine in the bedroom where Scott was found dead, and then the cops also discovered various prescription drugs like Viagra, sleeping pills, Xanax, and, I mean, two bags, two more bags of cocaine, a bag of green leafy material was found on the bus, too, and the medical examiners stated that Scott Weiland possibly died due to an accidental overdose of cocaine, and they also said in the report about his history of having asthma as well as cardiovascular disease, um, and also substance abuse, that's probably what killed him. Again, I remember the, the final shows, if you look it up on YouTube, Scott Weiland could barely move. I mean, the guy was so, so out of his mind that um, I think it was one of his ex-wives said that he basically gave up. Like, he, like he didn't kill himself, but he basically gave up on life because he was just so hooked uh, to drugs. And Lane Staley, of course, the lead singer of Alice in Chains, the original lead singer of Alice in Chains. Of course, Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots have moved on with both Jeff Goot and uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he's kicking ass. I think Alice in Chains, the new Alice in Chains is way better than the new Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. Stone Temple Pilots were huge during that grunge era in the early 90s um really haven't been the same since and allison changed to me i mean they're still rocking and rolling with jerry cantrell still writing uh the head lyricist of that band but lance staley um again was born in the 60s in seattle he died at the age of 34 it was april 5th 2002 he was discovered dead in seattle again his seattle apartment um, his mom hadn't heard from him in almost two weeks and nobody, nobody knew where he was for two weeks. So she called up the police and together they went to his apartment only to, only to discover his body laying there. And again, he was like, I think 82, 83 pounds. If I read that correctly, uh, when I read that article, I mean, tests had been done to identify the body because 
it had started to decompose at that point when they found him. In his apartment, near his body, there was a small stash of cocaine and also two crack pipes were found on the table. I mean, it, it's reported that when his body was found, here it is, Lane Staley was only 86 pounds. 86 fucking pounds. And uh, the medical examiner stated that the cause of this death was a mix of heroin and cocaine speedball. And after his death, cops did not reveal details about the reason behind his death. I mean, the only thing which they said was maybe due to overdose or if it was natural. I mean, it was obviously overdose. I mean, this guy wasn't eating. I mean, he truly was what he said in the song. He was the man in the box. I mean, Lane Staley was the man in the box. That was heroin, and that killed him. And then obviously, we've talked about Kurt Cobain's death. I mean, just... A poet uh, in his writing, again, one of the greatest songwriters in history, I think. He passed away at the age of 27, also on April 5th, also in Seattle. However, it was eight years before in 1994. And it was said during his last days that Kurt Cobain was struggling with heroin addiction and was in depression. That's what everybody said. I mean, there's documentaries and conspiracies out there that he wasn't in in a suicidal stage in his life. I mean, he reached a point... In life, wherein he was not able to handle the fame. I think he cracked under the pressure. I think that's what everybody's alluded to over the years. And also the personal pressure of his own life. I mean, Kurt Cobain was married to Courtney Love until his death. And it wasn't a surprise that Kurt was suicidal. I mean, many times his wife had to call up the authorities to inform him that Kurt was suicidal. Or at least that's what she was saying. I mean, in fact, there was... This one time when Kurt Cobain locked himself in a room with a gun, when the authorities asked him the reason for it, he said he was not suicidal, but that he was hiding from his wife, Courtney Love, which, I mean, take that as you will. Who, I mean, it's more of a he said, she said thing, and the world may never know because the case was closed the day of, you know? I mean, a lot of people want that case to be reopened. I, I would love it if that case was reopened. I find that's so sad. I mean, not satisfying, but it's so intriguing to me how they just determined that it was a suicide. I mean, his closest friends, I mean, they've been interviewed. They all said that he wasn't suicidal. But I, I, we'll get into that in a later episode. I want to dig too deep into this. I do want to talk more about Chris Cornell and, uh, I mean, Kurt Cobain. I mean, he even went to rehab to work on his addiction problem. I mean, I mean, it was one night without informing anybody. He just left the facility. And it was said that Kurt Cobain killed himself with a shotgun on April 5th, 1994, in his home in the greenhouse. However, Kurt's body was found by his electrician after two days. So the autopsy report revealed that high amount of uh, of drugs like heroin and Valium were found in his body, but uh, Chris Novoselic, who was the basis for Nirvana, he denied that fact, that drugs had something to do with his suicide. And he revealed that Kurt Cobain was clinically depressed, and and Kurt even left a suicide note which said, uh, please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, though there's speculation that she wrote that. Again, he said, she said, bunch of hearsay, I don't know. Um, but that's that's what I think about that whole that that's a whole mess a, no, a whole nother story for a whole nother day. Uh, I wanted to get into a little bit about Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington's friendship because, of course, like I said, uh, Chris Cornell took his life on May eighteenth, two thousand and seventeen, and then, of course, in July, on uh, Chris Cornell's fifty third, which would have been his fifty third birthday. Chester Bennington took his own life in the exact same way. Uh, so we'll get into that shortly after this quick word from Tick Pick. <laughs> Stick 
Pacific. No hidden fees. Download today. Remembering the late, great Chris Cornell on this Monday morning, of course, the front man for both Soundgarden and Audio Slave, as well as Temple of the Dog, uh, one-off tribute band for Andy Wood back in the early 90s. Uh, I want to get into... Both deaths of Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington, of course. Chris Cornell, like I said, Soundgarden, Audio Slave, Temple of the Dog, as well as his own stuff. Chester Bennington was with the Stone Temple Pilots, most notably with Linkin Park. And uh, the music world lost two rock icons in Cornell and Bennington within months, within uh, a span of 10 weeks. And Chester Bennington's death, of course, was being investigated at the time as a suicide by hanging. Um, That's what the Los Angeles County uh, Coroner's Office told uh, the press shortly after his death, and the final cause of a death uh, was confirmed that it was a suicide by hanging, and of course, he was only 41 years old at the time, and of course, Kobe Bryant was only 41 when he died this year, um, and then of course, like I mentioned, two two months beforehand, Chris Cornell, one of Chester Bennington's best friends, took his own life, and Bennington died on what would have been Chris Cornell's 53rd birthday, and it's crazy to think about, because in, in the wake of their deaths, fans have highlighted the close bond between those two rockers. I mean, they've posted videos of their perform of them performing together as well as their their past tributes of each other, including an open letter Chester Bennington posted at the time of Cornell's death. And Cornell and Bennington became close when they toured together in the mid-2000s, just a few years after Linkin Park hit it big time with its debut album, Hybrid Theory. And by then, Chris Cornell had been a rock icon for the better part of a decade. I mean, Soundgarden had played a major role in the grunge movement during the 1990s, and during that 07-08 tour, the two singers, they built chemistry, and it was on stage, and it was undeniable. I mean, in one of the videos that fans reposted to social media uh, and you can look it up on YouTube Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington they sang uh, Hunger Strike by Temple of the Dog which is originally Cornell and Eddie Vedder with Chester Bennington's uh, filling in for the vocals originally done by again Pearl Jam's Eddie Vedder I mean there was a full embrace between these two as Bennington uh, walked out for the second verse of that song and you can look that up Chris Cornell featuring Chester Bennington singing Hunger Strike by Temple of the Dog and during the same tour, Chris Cornell returned the favor. He, he joined uh, on, on the stage with Linkin Park, and they played Crawling, among other duets, for Chester Bennington. And when Chris Cornell died on this date, May 18th, 2017, Chester Bennington wrote a very emotional open letter to his friend, which I'll read, uh, and I quote, Thoughts of you flooded my mind, and I wept. I'm still weeping with sadness uh, as well as gratitude for having shared some very special moments with you and your beautiful family. You have inspired me in many ways you could have never known. Your talent was pure and unrivaled. Your voice was a joy and pain, anger and forgiveness, love and heartache, all wrapped up into one. And that's what he wrote, um, and I quote again, I suppose that's what we all are. You help me understand that. I can't imagine a world without you in it. And that's the that's the key line that people took away from his death. I can't imagine a world without you in it. I pray you find peace in the next life. I send my love to your wife and children, friends and family. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life. And on the night of May 18th, Linkin Park performed on Jimmy Kimmel Live. This was, the again, just hours after uh, finding out the death of his one of his best friends, Chris Cornell. And Chester Bennington opened the performance with a tribute to Chris Cornell, he said, we're going to come out and play heavy. Um, uh, and Bennington told, that's what he told the audience, in light of our dear friend Chris Cornell passing away, we decided to play our song, One More Light, We Love You, Chris. And again, that's a very sad song. That final Linkin Park album, if you ever get a chance to hear it, a lot of dark music. I think a lot of those songs, I mean, Given Up, uh, it's uh, the, the Midnight album, 
the black and white album that they came out with, uh, a lot of dark, heavy songs uh, led by uh, Chester Bennington's vocals. And during that appearance on Jimmy Kimmel Live, uh, one of Linkin Park's bandmates, Mike uh, Shinoda, he spoke to Radio.com days after that performance on Jimmy Kimmel and explained how much Chris Cornell's death had affected Chester Bennington. I mean, he said when uh, they were doing a sound check, Chester Bennington couldn't even make it through the song. He was getting halfway through and getting choked up. And again, this was the day of. And even when he did play the whole song and it was live on TV or taped for film for TV, he kind of just stopped, like, towards the end, like he missed the last couple of lines, just couldn't finish the song. And Chester Bennington was also the godfather of Cornell's son and sang at Chris Cornell's memorial service. And, I mean, the men, both Cornell and Bennington's families, have remained close as well. Um, and, of course, Chris Cornell's widow now, Vicki Cornell, she, she tweeted at the time, just when I thought my heart couldn't break anymore... I love you around, this was around the time that uh, Chester Bennington's death was confirmed about, again, 10 weeks later, mid-July. And this is what the Cornell family wrote about uh, Bennington after he had passed away. The Cornell family is overwhelmed by the heartbreaking news about Chester Bennington, which tragically comes so soon after their family's own loss. They open up their, their loving arms to Chester's family and share in the sorrow with all those who love them. I mean, this is how close... Uh, these two artists were these two lead vocalists who were just kick-ass performers, kick-ass frontman for two very iconic bands. I mean, Chris Cornell alone in two bands. Uh, obviously, Soundgarden is is the head honcho. Audio Slave was a cool project, uh, and of course, Lincoln Park with Chester Bennington did some work with Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, I mean, it's just crazy, and there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. I mean, we can get into that in a, another episode when someone I have someone to talk about it with. Uh, uh, there's a lot of conspiracies out there that they were both murdered for, uh, by the government and uh, because they knew some stuff that they shouldn't have known. Uh, I think it's all hearsay. I mean, we'll debate it on another episode. I know my brother loves that conspiracy uh, talk. He, he believes all that shit. So we'll get into that in another episode. We'll talk about more about Kurt Cobain. Uh, but the last thing I wanted to talk about regarding Chris Cornell here on this Monday, again, three years after the death of one of rock and roll's icons, the frontman for Soundgarden and Audio Slave, is his relationship with one of the most critically acclaimed actors of all time in Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt and Chris Cornell, very close friends, which may result in a documentary coming out next year, 2021. Look out, ladies and gents, for a Chris Cornell documentary um, led by uh, film director Peter Berg. He does a lot of Mark Wahlberg's films, as well as Brad Pitt. And we'll get into that after this quick word from your handy-dandy sponsor over at TickPick.com. <laughs> Remembering the life and the legacy of Soundgarden frontman Chris Cornell on this Monday, May 18th, 2000. 
and 17 was the day that he had passed, and again, uh, it brought a lot of sadness, a lot of devastation to many in uh, the rock and roll world, the music world, I mean, just the world in general, including some of Chris's good friends. We talked about Chester Bennington, obviously took a toll on his life, affected him tremendously, uh, as well as Academy Award-winning actor Brad Pitt. So Brad Pitt and Chris Cornell's friendship, it dates back to over two decades. I mean, they, they too publicly supported one another in both their careers. Brad Pitt reportedly told uh, Cinema Confidential that he was a huge Chris Cornell addict, uh, that anything that he did. I mean, a few weeks removed from his split from Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt made his first public appearance to introduce Chris Cornell at uh, the Rock 4 EB charity event in Malibu, California, uh, alongside Sting, of course, police frontman. And he's like, I get to introduce a very, very good friend of mine. Um, that's what Brad Pitt said of uh, Cornell before he and Sting performed uh, the police's 1983 hit, Every Breath You Take, as well as uh, Black Hole Sun, Soundgarden's hit. And Brad Pitt always tried to attend Cornell's concerts whenever he could. I mean, Chris Cornell did the exact same thing. I mean, Cornell supported Brad Pitt's acting career. Um, Chris Cornell, as well as Vicky Cornell, were both seen attending the premiere of Brad Pitt's uh, critically acclaimed movie at the time with Jonah Hill, Moneyball, uh, where, of course, he played Oakland Athletics general manager Billy Bean. That was in 2011 in Toronto at the International Film Festival. And, of course... Like I just said, in an upcoming documentary, 2021, mark your calendars, ladies and gents, uh, an upcoming documentary film about the life and the legacy of audio slave and Soundgarden frontman uh, Chris Cornell. Brad Pitt's going to attempt to put viewers in the room during some of the most pivotal moments of Chris Cornell's life. And alongside uh, Vicky Cornell, as well as Peter Berg, like I mentioned, uh, critically acclaimed film director, Brad Pitt is going to produce a documentary entitled Like a Stone, which was arguably Chris Cornell's uh, masterpiece. A lot of people say that. I mean, there's Black Hole Sun, uh, Show Me How to Live, also a great tune, but when it comes to lyrics and just pure poetry, uh, Like a Stone by Audio Slave may be Chris Cornell's masterpiece. That's what a lot of people feel like. We'll, we'll rate some of his songs at the end, but the film's going to include dramatization scenes from the life of Chris Cornell. Uh, Lachlan McDonald is going to play the role of Chris Cornell, uh, Drenna De Niro is going to depict Vicky uh, Cornell, um, of course, Robert De Niro's daughter. Not not to underutilize Chris's work, there will be um, footage of Soundgarden and Audio Slave and even Pearl Jam used in the film as well. Um, and of course, while not disputing prior reports to herself and Brad Pitt uh, kind of producing this documentary, Vicky Cornell said that there was no dramatic film coming out with actors playing the role of her late husband. Um, I think she tweeted out, uh, no fan of Chris Cornell would do such a thing. This commitment uh, to hurting us, fabricating documents, impersonating me, harassing our children, how deranged over two years on behalf of my husband who'd say much more, take your crazy and stay away from us and his memory. But it'll be interesting to see how this film depicts Chris Cornell's life as uh, uh, the music world is very eager to learn more about the pain that he carried leading up to his final days. And again, I, I do believe Like a Stone was arguably his masterpiece. Again, uh, Black Hole Sun. I mean, he played it on 
Howard Stern uh, saying that he was in, in the car at 4.30 in the morning just singing the lyrics to Black Hole Sun, and he grabbed a mini recorder, recorded it, uh, and then recorded it that day, and it just stuck with him. I mean, how, how awesome is that, that he was just able to retain that song and just come up with that song in the midst uh, of, of, of a, of, of a four-hour car ride at 4.30 in the morning? But if you date back all the way back to the early 90s, obviously Soundgarden starting again in 84. He was the drummer originally, uh, works his way up to lead vocals. Uh, uh, Bad Motor Finger, uh, that's arguably my greatest, my most favorite Soundgarden al- album, probably the greatest Soundgarden album that there is out there. I mean, how, how can you compete with this? Rusty Cage, Outshined, Slaves and Bulldozers, which is my personal favorite, Jesus Christ Post, Face Pollution, Somewhere, Searching With My Good Eye Closed is another good one, Room With A, uh, a Thousand Years Wide, Mind Riot, Drawing Flies, Holy Water, New Damage, uh, you got Pretty News on the Down in the Upside album that came out in 96, Rhinosaur, Zero Chance, Dusty, Ty Cobb, Blow Up the World Outside, or Blow Up the Outside World, Burning in My Hand, another classic, uh, that's probably in the top 10, probably Burning in My Hand, um, Never Named, Apple Bite, Never the Machine Forever, Tighter and Tighter, No Attention, Switch Opens, Overfloater, An Unkind, Boot Camp, um, uh, we mentioned Black Hole Sun, didn't we? We mentioned that one. Um, I'm going to look at a top ten list right here. Um, obviously, Hunger Strike has got to be in there. Um, Heavy in the, is the Head with Zach Brown is also a great tune. I wouldn't put it in the top ten, but i got to give a shout-out to Zach Brown Band for that one. Um, that was, uh, I think, the, the theme song uh, during the 2015 MLB playoffs, because I heard that one quite a lot. That's a great tune with Chris Cornell, obviously. Um Promise by Slash and Chris Cornell that came out in 2010. Another great hit. Be Yourself by Audio Slave. Uh, Doesn't Remind Me by Audio Slave. Reach Down by Temple of the Dog. Uh, Misery Change is on Cornell's solo album. Fell on uh, Black Days by Soundgarden. Um, uh, Outshined, obviously, by Soundgarden, like we mentioned. Fourth of July, Rusty Cage. Uh, pretty News. Here are the top five. You Know My Name, that was on Cornell's Carry On album. Um, Spoon Man, ah, I forgot Spoon Man. Spoon Man's another great hit. Black Hole Sun is three. And then the top two, Show Me How to Live by Audio Slave, and of course, Like a Stone by Audio Slave. I mean, again, I, it's arguably the best song they've ever wrote. I mean, the truth in the lyrics in Like a Stone is what makes this a timeless, timeless song. I mean, couple that with Chris Cornell's, again, his tone. And, I mean, this transcends music and becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, one of a kind uh, was Chris Cornell. Again, who knows what he w- would have been able to accomplish if he was still here. And, again, Soundgarden was supposed to go on tour later that year. They had their reunion tour in 2017, and they were supposed to come out with a new album as well in late 2017. And um, since his death, again, three years ago on the state, Vicky Cornell, Chris's wife, um, the mother of his two of two of his three children. Again, he was divorced once, was married for 14 years, and then was married for another 14 years to Vicky before he took his own life. Uh, she's had an increasingly strained relationship with uh, the Soundgarden bandmates, uh, Matt Cameron, Ben Shepard, and company. Which this month um, culminated in a tense legal standoff over the existence of funds raised by Chris Cornell's tribute concert back in 2019. I mean, both parties here, Cornell, Vicky Cornell, and uh, Soundgarden, they're suing each other after a row 
was sparked by the fundraising gig uh, again in 2019, which Soundgarden said that they would play for free if Vicky Cornell promised that uh, all the proceeds would go to charity. Um, the band is claiming that Vicky has mentioned just around $643,000 of that money was raised and donated to medical research charity. And um, Soundgarden's demanding that she tells them where the rest of that cash went. But Chris Cornell's widow here has fought back. She She's bringing in um, an attack dog lawyer, Marty Singer, to fire off a counter lawsuit, insisting nearly $2 million of the funds that have uh, gone to charity, that she raised for charity. And she's also been forced to defend the work of the Chris and Vicky Cornell Foundation, uh, saying in an Instagram statement last year, when you attack the foundation, you attack my husband's legacy. The foundation has nothing to do with who owns Chris's vocal rec uh, recordings. Their knowingly false allegations are a deliberate attempt to harm not just my credibility, but the foundation my husband and I created uh, for everything that we stand for. So the increasingly uh, frayed and fractured relationship, I guess you could say here, between Soundgarden and Vicky Cornell stems from the discovery of seven brand new tracks on Chris Cornell's computer after his death, which obviously is going to make a shit ton of money. And the unreleased records, um, I mean, you could argue uh, that Soundgarden's band mites were uh, uh, made for the final studio album. I mean, that's what their argument is, that those songs were made for their final studio album that was supposed to come out in 2017, but Vicki Cornell argued in her original lawsuit that they were Chris Cornell's sole and exclusive property and has accused Soundgarden of withholding royalties from their music. Obviously, a lot of money on the line here, folks. And her lawyer, again, Marty Singer, said in the statement, as Chris's former band members are well aware, every single penny of the proceeds generated by the concert were properly allocated and accounted for, and their statements are not only false and... Uh, uh, defamed but demonstrate the depths to which Chris Cornell's former bandmates are willing to sink to tarnish his legacy. So it's all about Chris Cornell's legacy here, again, just trying to save uh, as much money as you can here, and why not? Uh, but Vicky's team has now offered the band a breakdown of the tribute concert's uh, profits, and in response, Soundgarden said in a statement on May 8th, this was of last year, about a year ago, Soundgarden's goal is still, um, and Soundgarden's goal is still the completion of their final studio album, and they are uh, pleased that after many requests, Vicky's attorneys last night finally offered an accounting of those profits from the Chris Cornell tribute concert, and Soundgarden asks that Vicky now donate all of the remaining funds in her foundation to causes that are important to all of them. And again, of course, that foundation um, for medical research, again, we really, to this day, don't really know why Chris Cornell took his life, if he took his life. Obviously, it was ruled a suicide. There's conspiracy theories out there. Uh, I think all that's crazy. Uh, I think you uh, obviously battled depression and you just couldn't take it anymore. Chester Bennington, I think, obviously killed himself, killed himself on the day that Chris Cornell uh, was supposed to turn 53 years old. Um, and again, Eddie Vedder, uh, lead singer of Pearl Jam, the sole survivor of that grunge movement. Cornell, Wyland, Staley, Cobain, all gone. Eddie Vedder, still here. Uh, and again, this was a tribute podcast to one of the greatest rock and roll frontmen of all time, one of the greatest musicians of all time. And I want to leave uh, with another uh, underrated song by Chris Cornell, Dead Wishes, which is on his Hi Higher Truth album in 2015. One of the greatest songs ever. I, if you listen to it, again, it's not one of those critically acclaimed greatest songs ever, but if you find it and you listen to it, the lyrics, the poetry in that song, uh, uh, I mean, Dead Wishes is, uh, I think that's one of his 
greatest hits if you ever listen to one of his most underrated songs. So this, again, was remembering Soundgarden and Audio Slave frontman Chris Cornell on this Monday, May 18th. 2020. May he rest in peace. This was episode 194 presented by Belly Up Sports. Be sure to follow Belly Up Sports on Twitter at Belly Up Sports. And if you're into buying tickets, I know you are. Head on over to TickPick.com. UFC is going on. NASCAR is going on. Baseball is going to be starting up. No fans, though, so you're going to have to wait till uh, 2021, probably. Sorry. Um, use the promo code OSHO10. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-10 for $10 off your next order whenever you get a chance. And if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, head on over to MeccaNutritionStore.com. I'm wearing their sweatshirt right now. Use the promo code OSHO20 to get $20 off that sweatshirt purchase at the MeccaNutritionStore.com. Remember, swole's the goal. Size is the prize. Hit it, For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.